Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. Hello, everybody, and happy Valentine's Day a week late. Yeah. (laughs) Hope you spent time with your significant other or your friends, or even if you sat by yourself and ate charcuterie and drank wine. um, To yourself. That's the fucking, that's what me and Corey did. Yeah. (laughs) We, um, our friend made us a charcuterie board that is beautiful and matches the yellow in our house. He had like gotten special wood and everything for it. And it arrived like two days ago. And so we like made the charcuterie spread and drank wine and like had a lazy Monday Valentine's day. And it was perfect. I love that though. That's so nice. Yeah. Cause neither of us had to cook. We just had to chop up some cheese and, Spread meats and cheeses will fill you up too. Cut the cheese and spread the meat. (laughs) (laughs) Your mom listens, Jillian. No, she doesn't. She actually doesn't. My dad does not anymore. Your dad's listening, Jillian. (laughs) Um, so I'm drinking over my leftover rose from yesterday. That's nice. I thought about going to the store and getting a bottle of wine, but I really did not feel like dealing with the mayhem that is the store around five o'clock. So absolutely do that. I nicknamed the Winn-Dixie here hell. And (laughs) I think it gives it a little bit more, I don't know, lightheartedness when I'm going to the store because I'll text my boyfriend and say, hey, I'm going to hell. Do you need anything? (laughs) (laughs) Just kind of adds a little spice in there. (laughs) Just a bit of spice. And now oh he's caught on too. So he texts me today. He's like, I went to hell after Walgreens today. And that place was a mess. And I was like, yeah, I was going to go too. But <laughs> <laughs> didn't feel like dealing with it today. <laughs> oh my God. That's wind Dixie. Wow. They're um, like, they mean well, but there's always, there's like certain times of day where you have to go because it's less annoying. And the other times, like, it's just a freaking madhouse. Like no carts no baskets like one or two <laughs> lanes are open just There's carry like, everything in your arms <laughs> yeah like the lines are just down the aisles because like there's not enough people to work everything and then the self-checkout is just a madhouse because no one understands like the systems mm-hmm. so and then like salad is finally back in the store and so people like in the earlier times of the day they'll grab all the salad so if you go in the evening there's no salad left so like it's just like so much is happening 
my god there was no cream cheese for like two months and on facebook <laughs> marketplace down here someone posted a photo of their cream cheese and like jokingly so it was trying to sell it for like a thousand dollars he's like i know i got the good stuff <laughs> like, oh, yeah oh so speaking of the madness of the florida keys you got to go on a romantic uh trip to a trip. very isolated key yeah i know that was pretty cool so my boyfriend and i for christmas we did not get each other christmas gifts and we just did a trip instead and we never got to take the trip until this past weekend and so mm. ironically it fell around valentine's day so it was just kind of like our valentine's yeah, day trip that's too Corey which is really I do nice. that all the time where we'll instead of getting gifts we'll just go on a trip together yeah i just i like more of the experience like you know so you give me a gift i might I'm going to be appreciative for it, but it's just one of those things where it, the memory of a trip and like all those things that we do together have more weight in my brain than like, yeah, like giving me something. Absolutely. And it works vice versa too. Like, you know, that mug that I got you Mm -hmm. when you told me that you still have that mug in my head, I was like, when did I get you that mug? Like, (laughs) I just, like, (laughs) I just block out all the gifts I give to people too. And I'm like, I don't remember any of that stuff. I'm like, cool. I got you a gift. I'm glad you still like it and you use it. I do. It's cute. So I'm not going to get rid of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It just works vice versa for me too. But anyway, yeah. So we went to dry Tortugas national park, which it is in the Florida Keys, but it is very far from Key West. So it's about, I think it's about like 70 to 75 miles away from Key West. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has a fort on it, like a military fort. It's called Fort Jefferson. Uh, the key itself is called Garden Key. And there's all these other keys that are around it. And like that's the, the Dry Tortuga National Park is really all of the coral reef water area that is the quote-unquote national park because um i think people go to the fort on garden key and just think like that's what the national park is but it's really underwater is the park because that's where all the coral and snorkeling is and all that stuff it's almost like a marine protected area yeah in that way gotcha yeah and so um, there's a key that's three miles from garden key. It's called loggerhead key. There's a lighthouse on it. Um, super cool. There's like another key. That's just a sand patch now, but it's called hospital key because back in like the late 1800s, when the fort was being built, there was a hospital on that mm. key. And like, that's where the sick people with yellow fever would go and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. So, um, it, like it, there's a lot of history there. I always thought that the fort was a military fort and it was only a military fort, but fun fact is it was a bustling little community, uh, back in the 1880s when it was being built. So they pretty much brought their family, the workers brought their families and their slaves there. They're, mm-hmm. uh, recognized as part of the underground railroad National Underground Railroad Association, whatever that national yeah like recognition is for the Underground Railroad, because there was, I think it was like four or five slaves tried to escape mm-hmm. and they did, they made it all the way up to Marathon and which is in the middle keys. So they went 70 something miles to Key West and then another, I don't know, like 40, 50 miles to marathon. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they, 
outsailed the people that were coming after them and they finally got captured. Um, and some of them got sent back to their owners and the other just, they went back to the fort to keep working. So that was That's a, little... a hard escape. Like yeah. imagine just trying to escape on the mainland where you don't have to like get on a fucking boat and leave. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's like, that's like Alcatraz, but like way worse. Yeah. yeah. It was really interesting. I would have never thought like, obviously like that time period there's slaves but like i just would have never thought that they would have brought them to such a remote place to build mm-hmm. a military fort uh oh. so i i mean like it, i guess it really makes sense from that time frame but i just never would have thought that but well i'm sure you know they thought well somebody has to do the hard work and why yeah. not you know bring enslaved people to do that yeah. for us so that we don't have to and we don't have to pay anybody you know yeah um, but yeah, so I learned a lot when I was there. I thought it was super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got my junior ranger badge. It was like a quote unquote letter to home. And there were like blank spaces in it that you had to fill in. And one of the words was scurvy. And I got it because of you. <laughs> like knowing all of this stuff because you're it, welcome yeah I was I thought of you I was like oh Julie would be so proud of me because I was filling out the workbook and it was saying something about how like people's gums were bleeding and stuff and I was like oh they have scurvy and like, that was, like <laughs> I love talking about scurvy yeah <laughs> but it was just like one of those things where um I I was just like man Jillian put this bug in my brain. Now I'm thinking about it. It's like, we're in the middle of nowhere in the ocean. There's like no resources. Like (laughs) their bread was made out of bugs, sticks, dirt, and flour. Solid. That like, (laughs) and like on the little informational boards that are around the quote unquote bakery, it says something about like how they would scrape off the black spots, but then eat the rest that they couldn't scrape off. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I was like, oh my God, so gross. But yeah, it was- they, there's a lot of like survival stuff going on in dry tortugas, not necessarily like in the big stories that we like to tell, but more in like the, um, it was just really hard to live there. Oh yeah. And the like conditions were not usually that good for no. anybody. So speaking of not good conditions, um, <laughs> <laughs> segue right into how we were camping. Um, mm-hmm. the camping was great. I will say that. Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously, you know, we talk a lot about being prepared and looking at weather before you go and do things. Yeah. And so we had looked at the weather and, um, it, so first of all, let me backtrack. We were camping Friday to Monday Mm -hmm. and, um, weather was supposed to be turning Monday. Like it's supposed to be really windy on Monday. Mm -hmm. And so we took a seaplane out and that was fine. But, um, my friend said, my friend, he works, excuse me, my friend works at the park and he was telling me that like, if it's, if the winds are, if there's like pretty much, I think it's probably like, I don't know, like 15 knots, something like that. Like the seaplane won't go and winds like that. And so we would just have to take the ferry back, which is like not a big deal. He can just like put us on the manifest. It's okay. Um, He's like, just talk to the pilot when you see him on Sunday, like what they're going to do. Yeah. And so and also, mind you, there is no cell service out here. Mm-hmm. Like, there, you can't just, like, text your friend, like, or look up the weather. You just are kind of, like, flying by the seat of your pants while you get out there. And um, 
So we had already known that Monday was going to be a little bit of a situation leaving. Mm -hmm. But Saturday night slash early Sunday morning, it was like 2 a.m. to 5 Mm a.m. A severe thunderstorm that wasn't even on the radar popped up. And it had to have been blowing 20 to 25 knots. Like my yeah. the, the walls of my tent were just like caving in on us. Like the frame stayed sturdy. It was just like the fabric with the yeah. wind was just blowing every which direction. And we just could not sleep. We were awake from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. Just like all the rain. Like it was just like so hard it was just coming down in all directions. The wind was coming from every direction. The thunder was so loud. It was like deafening. Sometimes mm-hmm. the lightning was so bright. Even when your eyes were closed, it was like blinding you. Like it, the lightning had struck and like it blinded me a little bit. I opened my eyes to try to help my boyfriend, like fix a part of the tent. Cause we had the vents open at the top of the tent and they're Velcroed up mm-hmm. and you can just, you can unvelcro them from the inside if you just kind of hit, hit it a bit. And so he was trying to like unvelcro it because like the rain was causing like some mist to come through the vents. And so yeah. we, we weren't getting wet, but we could like feel mist coming in. We're like, oh, we should probably close that. Mm-hmm. And so like I like opened my eyes to try to help him. I'm like, babe, I can't see anything. I was like, it's so <laughs> dark and I'm like seeing spots right now. <laughs> like it was just, it was horrible. Like, but we survived it. And in my, when I woke up after I slept after, you know, a little bit more, I was like, man, this is gonna be a good story for Jillian. She's gonna appreciate <laughs> this one. So it gets better though. <laughs> so after we survived that severe thunderstorm, now it's Sunday morning and in the middle of the night, we we're like, man, what do we leave out? Do we leave anything out? Like, should we check on anything? And we're like, no, I'm sure it's fine. Like, we closed everything up. Like, there's not anything around. And we're like, what, what we did leave out, like, we'll just pick it up in the morning. Like, it's, it's flown around. It's not, mm-hmm. not going to go far, you know? And um, so we wake up in the morning and we had two of those HDX black totes with the yellow lids that snap down and stuff. Mm-hmm. I had my Sony Alpha 3 in the freaking dry tote, but I guess we did not snap the lid on all the way because the wind picked the lid up and flew it up. And there was about a foot of water in that tote when we got to it in the morning. Good. And so my $4,000 camera was sitting in a foot of water for God knows how long. Oh, no. (laughs) So... That was really the only thing that got ruined and all of that. And my boyfriend felt so bad, but I was like, you know, honestly, like they're just things like it sucks for sure. (laughs) Definitely sucks. Don't get me wrong. I definitely took a punch to the gut, but like Uh, I would have, I, it would have been worse if like the tent collapsed or like there was a hole in it and we got flooded with everything, you know, like I, like I can send the I can send the camera into Sony to get fixed. It's sitting in rice right now, but like <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm gonna try to send it in to get fixed and see what happens. But yeah, that was that was a punch to the gut. And then um, so a couple hours later, um, one of the park law enforcement officers comes up and uh. He goes, oh, did you guys hear the news? And we're like, no, what? He's like, oh, the ferry's not coming today. And we're like, what? Because we had planned to play it safe 
and go home on Sunday when the weather was better than what mm-hmm. the weather's going to be on Monday. So we could get home without any trouble with heavy seas or anything. Right. But I guess the storm that came over us that early in the morning had made its way up to Key West and like at all the transportation just like did not go. Mm-hmm. And so on Sunday, everyone that planned to leave was just kind of stuck there. <laughs> and also knowing that the weather on Monday was going to be bad, we were like, well, what the fuck? Are they going to come tomorrow? And they're like, I don't know. Probably not. We're like, so what the fuck are we going to do? Are we stuck here till Tuesday? Like, <laughs> they're like, yeah, probably like, hopefully they come on Tuesday. And I'm like, I'm like, I need to make a phone call. Can I like use your phone? So I went to like the, <laughs> the parks visitor center and I called my boss and I called my mom and I called my roommate and I called my (laughs) boss and I was like hey if I don't show up to work on Tuesday this is the situation I'm in (laughs) I called my mom to be like I just want you to know if you don't hear from me by Monday I'm alive I'm still (laughs) still stuck here with no cell service oh my god that's and I called my roommate and I was like, hey, you might have to watch Wayland for like another day or two. I don't know when we're going to be home. <laughs> <laughs> so thankfully, the ferry came on Monday and we were able to get back. But it was there's this one channel called Rebecca Channel and it's just not protected at all. And the winds were blowing like 25 knots and it was just miserable. And I get seasick and I took yeah. two Dramamine and I have a fear of vomiting. And I started to feel sick. I started to work myself up and my anxiety hit me. And I just like curled up next to my boyfriend and I was like crying. I was like, I don't feel well. I just need to curl up and cry and like close my eyes and focus on breathing. He was so nice. He was trying to talk to me. He's like, oh, I'll share some stories with you. Like, you know, trying to distract Mm -hmm. me. And he's like, do you want me to talk to you or no? I was like, honestly, I'm just trying to focus on my breathing right now. You can talk to me if you want, but I'm not going to be responding to you. (laughs) I was like, well, you're doing great. I love this. It's fine. (laughs) And then once we were out of the channel, I was completely fine. It was just like in the channel. I was like, whew, this is not a fun time. I worked myself up with my anxiety so bad that my body started to tingle and go numb. Like my hands were cramping up. Mm-hmm. And he was like, babe, this is not normal. I was like, I know it's not normal, but like, <laughs> this is where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, been there, been there. Yeah. Um, so that well, was glad- that was a trip back. <laughs> I'm glad you're safe. I'm glad you didn't get hit by lightning or anything. Yeah, we definitely heard a couple of cracks. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. And, yeah, no, it, it was a bummer, but it's okay. And I'm just glad that we weren't out there for like two more days because yeah. it was looking like we were going to be out there for two more days. But I mean, it all worked out because we came home on the day that we had scheduled to come home on. Mm-hmm. But like, it was just much just more so- rougher wow. yeah, moment where I was thinking worst case scenario. I'm like, because honestly, the wind for the rest of this week sucks. Mm-hmm. So when like they didn't come... Sunday and they're like oh you don't know if they're gonna come on Monday I'm like well it's not gonna get any better because before we left my friend who works there said that the the ferry doesn't really go if it's over 25 knots mm-hmm. or 20 knots 20 or 25 knots and the wind on wind on Monday was blowing 25 knots mm-hmm. and like it's gonna stay around mm-hmm. like 20 to 25 for the rest of the week and I was like, if they don't come on Monday, they're never coming for the rest of the week. I was like starting to think like that. I was like, we're going to be screwed out here. <laughs> You're just going to have to eat all the moldy bug bread. I know. And yeah, that's kind of the whole trip in a nutshell. We had a great time. 
but yeah. it was just there's just some environmental things that kind of got in the way. Yeah. yeah. Well, and- speaking of a a colder little survival story, you sent mm-hmm. me a news article that we could talk about. We did. I did. We can. We can. So I sent you this. I think it was like what last week, February 6th is when it was written. And mm-hmm. um, it's on Fox 13 Tampa Bay website. And it's titled Coast Guard, 18 rescued after being trapped on ice sheet in Lake Erie. I believe this was also covered on Good Morning America. So in Sandusky, Ohio, the U.S. 9th Coast Guard said 18 people had been rescued after being trapped on a floating ice sheet in Lake Erie on Sunday, which would have been whatever the early February Sunday date is. Um, (laughs) Authorities said the rescue was made possible with a Coast Guard helicopter from air station Detroit on an airboat from station Marblehead and a boat from a good Samaritan. The incident happened near Catabot Island. Authorities said that the rescue effort started about 1 PM local time after an MH 65 dolphin helicopter from air station Detroit noticed approximately 20 people on an ice floe with several ATVs looking for a route back to land. <clears throat> the helicopter then lowered its rescue swimmer and began hoisting operations. The helicopter rescued seven people while the Coast Guard airboat rescued four people and the Good Samaritan was able to rescue the remaining, well, rescue the remaining seven. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. Good for them. I know, right? Coast Guard needs to step it up. (laughs) First responders were on standby, but no one required medical attention. Authorities said the ice broke off as people were snowmobiling. The Coast Guard is reminding people to take precautions before seeking recreational opportunities, as well as dressing appropriately for the water, not air temperature. Yeah. They also remind people to wear a life jacket, some have some form of electronic communication and carry ice picks or screwdrivers to break the ice in the event of a self-rescue. Yeah. So on the Great Lakes, especially farther up north, which Lake Erie is not the northernmost one. It's the smallest. Well, no, or Ontario, Ontario might be smaller, but it's one of the smaller ones up by, um, uh, like New York. And, mm-hmm. um, but I used to go to the great lakes all the time with my family. We visit my parents are from Michigan. We talked about this on our Edmund Fitzgerald episode about that ship that sunk in Lake Superior. And a lot of places when it's winter time, completely freeze over. And so you can use snowmobiles to get across to like islands and stuff, especially up North. Um, there's this Island, um, in technically, I think it's in Huron, like Huron and, um, it's called Mackinac Island, which we've oh, yeah. talked about Mackinac Island, but, um, the only way to get to it in the wintertime is by snowmobile, mm-hmm. but you're going across like impossibly deep great lakes, ice, like over, you know, a big channel. And so I guess that's why I was wondering, like, why were these people They're out just there? hanging out. Yeah. Donuts on the ice, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> cut a hole by accident. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting, but that's really good that, you know, they were able to rescue everyone. Yeah. Cause if you yeah. fall in that water during this time of year, you're fucking toast. Like, you're Oh, done. for sure. I mean, when they said like in the event of a self-rescue, it reminded me of what our whitewater rafting guide said to us in Alaska when they're giving like the debriefing of safety and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. He used the term or the phrase like participate in your own rescue. 
And I'm like, dude, that is such a good thing to tell people because most of the time, like he said, he was like, people get so nervous that they're just like mm-hmm. not helping themselves. And it's like, yeah, if you fall over, you need to help us help you. So participate in your own rescue. Like, yeah, um, listen to us, like swim towards us, grab onto something, like whatever we tell you to do, you know, help. Yeah. Help well, and too. the crazy thing though about the Great Lakes is like, say one of them had fallen in, they wouldn't have been rescued they just would have died within like 30 seconds hypothermia would have set in and Mm -hmm. unless somebody pulled them out quickly you're done you're done and it's I've been in that water during the summertime it's fucking cold like it's not for the faint of heart even in the summertime when you're not like at risk of death put my index finger in like half (laughs) and like oh nope I'm good (laughs) no thank you (laughs) right um so like they're really lucky that it wasn't worse than yeah. what happened. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, they. I've been following a lot of TikToks um, of Great Lakes ice, which and hydrology. Which if you aren't on that TikTok TikToks, those t- kind of TikToks, you absolutely should be. There's a couple of different TikTokers that do it, but I'm sure if you search like Great Lakes ice, they have the most beautiful videos and images of the most weird and interesting like ice formations on the Great Lakes because it's such a unique place. There are like little oceans in the middle of the land. So there's all these really unique like ice formations and stuff that happen um, during this time of year. So that's that's what making me think of of the whole ice flow situation. I mean, they'll create that the waves will create things like these big round ice boulders that just kind of float in bob or that's like cool. ice that's like, like you can literally see through and it's like turquoise. It's like, yeah, so pretty. So check it out if you're interested in Great Lakes. It's a very interesting part of the world. I'm making a note because I have seen a couple of things that like, are pertaining to our podcast or like to our interests on TikTok. Yeah. Like other, I don't know, spooky stories or what mm-hmm. have you. And um, you know how everyone, or not everyone, but there's the term on TikTok where it's like, I've come to the right side of TikTok. Yes. And it's like when you're on like those <laughs> kinds of pages, every time I find one of those, I'm like, yep, I'm on the right side of TikTok right now. <laughs> like this is where I need to be. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad they got rescued. Yeah. That's so that's that. All right. So, so let's hop into it. Yeah. So, you know, usually I like to talk about like freezing to death. That's like my favorite, you know, story to tell. I like talking about cold places. Yeah. We're not doing that today. We're actually going somewhere where we, yes, we're warm. We've never gone before. Um, We're going to the Amazon. Grab your backpacks. I used to watch that show with my brother when he was a kid. So I know the entire, like all of the songs. I have them all memorized, like by heart. The map so. song. Oh my God. Yes. It's easy when they just repeat the same like phrase. I'm the map. <laughs> So this is kind of our own version of Dora the Explorer, except she didn't intend on being Dora the Explorer. Wow. Yeah. So 
it was definitely a situation that she, our, our leading lady, um, didn't want to find herself in. So this is the story of Julianne Kopka, um, who was a plane crash survivor lost in the Amazon. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. I was just getting the photos up and I was reading your comment. No warnings for this one. It's all kosher. Yeah. <laughs> no like, dead cool. body. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> no pictures of dead bodies. I always have to warn Haley because one time I didn't. And I was and... like, good God, Jillian. Yeah. <laughs> this is my bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> I don't post anything super gruesome. They were the mummified. They were mummified. It was fine. Yeah, yeah, no, it's all good. <laughs> but what I, I think is fine prepared. and yeah. what other people think is fine is two totally different things. Yeah. All right. So let's get into Julianne Kopka. She, at the time that this happened, was 17. Oh, my gosh. A baby. Very baby. Not even old enough to drink. Yeah, I mean, back then it'd be 18, right? Yes. Well, it, I don't know about the country that she was in, but um, I think in the U.S., yeah, it was 18. I gotcha. Because if you can go to war and die for your country, you can drink a beer, damn it. <laughs> yeah. That's always how I felt about it, personally. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same. Yeah. So she was 17, Someone who many would count out of the survival game immediately, but she was thrust into the most desperate of survival situations all the same due to one fateful evening that was out of her control. But due to what she had learned from her biologist parents. Oh, hey, she's a smarty. Yeah. We like a, we like a smart queen. <laughs> <laughs> So due to her biologist parents and the experiences that she had in the amazing ecosystem of the Amazon in which she had to walk through to salvation, she was able to overcome something impossible. What was it? So let's get into this. (laughs) So Julianne was born in Lima, Peru on October 10th, 1954 to her parents, Maria and Hans Wilhelm Kopka. German? Yes, they were German zoologists who worked in the Amazon at a remote research station in the Panguana Reserve, which is like dream life, dream situation. Um, So there's a picture of her parents on slide two. Yeah, they look very uh, science-y. They do, but like I don't know why, but I can tell that they're in love. Yeah. Is that weird to say? It's not weird to say. I'm trying to see what you're seeing, though. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's just the fact that, like, for the time in the 50s, he obviously wasn't threatened by her being intelligent and smart. And she right. was very much a zoologist in her own right. And she's almost taking, like, the foreground of this picture. Right. I don't know. I just, I can just tell. I don't know what it is. I like the fish that are standing up on these little life oars or whatever, the planks of wood that are right there. Yeah, they got all their samples all around them. Like, they're whole ass fishes, too, guys. They're not even like (laughs) half of the one. It's like preserved. Yeah. And then the picture next to it is the Panguana Reserve in Peru. But there's a lot of piranhas in there. Um, I don't know. I think piranhas tend to stick to more wetland areas of the Amazon. 
found oh. it out from uh, Planet Earth. Cool. So, Maybe I should um, watch that again. <laughs> so this is located more uh, like in the upstream reaches of the Amazon. So closer to the Andes. Okay. So it's very, very far from like where the mouth of Amazon actually dumps out. Gotcha. Um, so let's talk about the Panguana Reserve. Um, it's an area of Peru home to 500 species of trees, 160 types of reptiles and amphibians, and 100 different kinds of fish. Um, seven species of monkey, 380 species of birds, and over 16,000 insect species. Wow. So it's a, a lot hot, of bugs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll get into that. <laughs> we'll get into oh, the insects. No, I don't like bugs. <laughs> That's the issue when you get away from the cold survival stories, then you have to worry about insects big time. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Gross. So safe to say it is an absolute hot spot of biodiversity within the Peruvian Amazon. So very important, like biologically. So this is where she spent her teenage years. Um, Prior to her her ordeal, she spent a year and a half with her parents at the research station before going to Lima, which is the capital of Peru, for graduation from her high school. Um, She was homeschooled, but the Peruvian authorities requested her to return to Lima to finish her education. And... Mm. She wanted to experience her graduation and um, go to the big dance that they had with her classmates, which, you know, I always say, I, I've been saying like, oh, it's like, it would be like a dream life. But thinking back to like me as a teenager, I would have wanted to like go to prom and stuff. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so I get it. So I think like part of her enjoyed, you know, the way that she was, you know, brought up, but at the same time, like was kind of frustrated that she couldn't be like a normal kid you know mm-hmm. that's kind of what I've gotten from you know reading about her experience that's so, fair yeah I think so I mean you're a teenager you just want to you'll be social yeah yeah exactly so Julianne was just 19 years old when she traveled with her mother from um, Lima Peru to Pucaipa on Christmas Eve in 1971 um, basically to go home from her graduation um, for the holidays. Mm-hmm. Her dad was still at the research station. Um, she received her high school diploma the day before the flight with the goal of becoming a biologist like her parents. Aww. Julianne and Maria were frustrated because the flight, Lanza Flight 508, was seven hours late. Oh, no. And, yeah. Yeah. But you know a little bit about this seaplane bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, someone's not right here, guys. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the plane was seven hours late, but they were eager to get home for Christmas because this was on Christmas Eve. So the flight was only supposed to be an hour long when they finally boarded the plane. Oh, With, my God. It was yeah. only supposed to be an hour long. Yep. That's it. Um, but they were going over like one of the most remote parts of the country. Yeah. Which included the Panguana Reserve. So within 25 minutes, turbulence began getting worse and the plane was in the midst of a massive thunderstorm. Ugh. Yeah. 
Julianne described the chaos saying there were gifts, flowers, and Christmas cakes flying around the cabin. Which Oh god, that's so sad. I I like some light turbulence, weirdly enough. It puts me to sleep. But once yeah. things are flying around the cabin, you're like, no, thank you, I'm okay. That's a that. different <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so not great. Um suddenly a lightning bolt struck the motor and the plane broke into pieces in the air. Ugh. So Julianne says of this moment, I saw a very bright light on the outer engine on the left. My mother said very calmly, that is the end. It is all over. Oh no. Those were the last words that Julian ever heard from her mother. Oh my God, get out of here. So she said she could hear the screams of passengers in the motor until suddenly all she could hear was the wind. Ugh. Ugh. I don't uh, like that. But no. that gives me the heebie jeebies. Well, and the reason that she could only hear the wind was because she was outside of the plane. Oh my God. She's still strapped to her seat, fucking free falling. She's just like, she's like cartoon ejected from the plane. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Um. So she could see the canopy spiraling below her of the forest, and then she lost consciousness and remembered nothing of the impact. Yeah, I would have blacked out. <laughs> Guess how many feet she fell in total. Uh, I'm gonna say a couple thousand. Give me a number. Ugh. <laughs> uh, right about a couple thousand, but two thousand three hundred. <laughs> Way low. <laughs> Too low? Yeah. Like I was low, or or you're low. Fell? Oh God, dang. Okay, so three thousand seven hundred. Ten thousand. Oh my God, <laughs> I'm so low. <laughs> a lot more than you think would be survivable a right? couple is two <laughs> <laughs> okay so i guess i should have said several thousand yeah, like, yeah. A minute. <laughs> yeah so the following day she woke up somehow surviving the fall i wonder how she survived that well there's some theories about that so okay. her ordeal however was far from over because she's in the middle of nowhere at this point yeah. Um, so it's thought that she actually landed in the canopy of the forest. Okay. Which cushioned the impact before she crashed to the ground. She woke up and her first thought was, I survived an air crash. Cool. Very like. Hey, I'm alive. Hey, I'm alive. <laughs> this, this story is giving very much Helen Clavin's yeah. story about her plane crash in Alaska, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Even though she was alive, she did have a lot of injuries. Um, She had a broken collarbone, gashes on her calf and shoulder. Um, She had ruptured a ligament in her knee. She could walk. Um, She also had one eye swollen shut and her field of vision in the other eye was basically narrowed to a slit. Oh, no. So she, she was mobile. But like, not well off. No, not by any means. So it's not like she just miraculously came out of this completely un, unhurt or uninjured. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine landing in a tree would do that to you. Yeah. So, sure. yeah. So it actually took her a full uh, half a day to get up and fully like assess the situation. Um, she was also completely soaked and covered in mud because it had been raining the night before. So she's soaking wet, right? Oh, God. And um, she was only wearing a short sleeveless mini dress and had one white sandal. So if you look at slide one, you can kind of see what she was wearing at the time. Um, That was at her graduation. Something similar, like a little cap sleeve baby doll dress. Right, because it's the Southern Hemisphere and it's warm during this time of year. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's the Amazon. It's always warm, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's close to the equator. But so she, it's 1960s. She's a young girl in the 60s and she's wearing, um, or sorry, it was early 70s, but, you know, she's wearing a little sundress, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she had a sandal, just one. Because her other one flew off. Right, right. Because she literally flew out of a plane. Fell from the sky. <laughs> uh, and you can also see the crash site as well. So they're trying to go to Pool Kalpa. Uh, yeah, like they're real close. They were probably like what another twenty minutes away from landing. Yeah, yeah, they're probably so, on their descent almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, she also was missing her glasses. She oh, no. needed glasses to see, but with the swollen eyes, it's not like they would have been particularly useful. Yeah. So she's cannot really see very well, um, but she was listening to the calls of the birds and the frogs and began to recognize the sounds. Um, That's really, awesome. Right. Because she was actually in the Panguana Reserve. Yeah. Which was the same jungle that she has spent a year and a half on the research station. Yeah, so she knew everything that she was hearing. for the most Right, part. so she had an idea of where she she didn't necessarily know where she was, like within the reserve but she mm-hmm. knew you know there might be things that she could use to her advantage yeah like she knew the flora and fauna essentially which is rad like rad so af cool. yeah because i can barely recognize <laughs> most of our bird calls <laughs> <laughs> um and penguin is big it's a big area so it's not like she was like a mile away from the research station or something like that but yeah yeah. So she began to try to get to civilization. Um, okay. Without her glasses, uh, she would use her one shoed foot to test the ground ahead of her as she began to trek through the forest and assuming to make sure she wasn't stepping on a sharp rock or a stick or a snake, you know? Mm-hmm. That's um, smart. Yeah. So granted it is a sandals so it's not yeah. that much protection but better than nothing um she began to look for her mother and came across a small stream where she drank water uh she remembered some survival advice from her father and he said if you see water follow it downstream that's where civilization is mm-hmm. and i that's something else that i think my dad 
taught me like you're lost in the woods it's like a general yeah that's uh when we were in utah doing the fish sampling studies surveys what have you Mm -hmm. um we would walk along one of the rivers or streams like we'd walk along some type of little body of water like that and excuse me I always like made a mental note of where that was because in my head I was like if I get lost I'm just gonna go right back to the stream Mm -hmm. and I'll be okay yeah (laughs) I'll figure it out yeah I was doing this project way before I got any of my marine science internships or anything uh nearby where we live uh lived in Haymarket Bull Run Mount Conservancy um and I was doing a project with them in the Smithsonian, basically, we were growing American chestnut trees in the woods and mm-hmm. basically seeing, like, you know, herbivory from deer and stuff like that. If, like, a fence would protect the plants or not. But anyway, it involved a lot of wandering around in the woods with a GPS. <laughs> and I always knew that, like, if I got so incomprehensibly lost I could just go downhill until I found a stream and then follow that stream down to a bigger stream eventually would reach something right yeah that was my always my plan and it's basically because you know civilization one tends to stick to rivers and stuff um, like water sources but also Mm -hmm. because if you're going downstream you're eventually going to get to a bigger creek and then a bigger river and then a giant river so that's the thought with that makes sense so that was her plan so julian began her journey to get out of the rainforest following the stream she would occasionally swim or walk in the water knowing it was safer than the ground which housed snakes in the leaf litter but she was careful not to go too deep because that's where like the electric rays like to hang out the electric rays nice yeah because there's all kinds of fish out to kill you in the amazon yeah there are for (laughs) sure we talked about piranhas but there's also yeah electric rays electric eels there's the penis fish wait what you know about that one no the oh the one that goes up the the guy yeah i do know about that apparently there's a fish that goes up and it ruins you if you pee in the Amazon, like your penis is under the water, it'll swim up your urethra and uh-huh. stick out spikes. Yeah. Stay there. I don't remember why. It's something to do with they need something out of your urea, basically. But uh, it's happened to some people before. I remember watching that. So this is going to be a little side tangent, but <laughs> I am a little scarred from watching that as like, I don't know, it must have been like in middle school. It was like I was watching Animal Planet or Discovery Channel and it was like on one of those like, like, how do I survive or how did I survive or one of those types of shows. And um, yeah, it was like the reenactment was this guy like, I I don't know if it was in the Amazon or not, but it was somewhere where that fish was a thing and he was like in the water peeing and then it just like cuts to his like upper half like in pain he's like ah and he's like holding his lower half and it's just like and like they have the the, the footage of the a fish like swimming up like the urine line in the water <laughs> it's just a whole thing in my head so like i 
occasionally think about that when I pee in the ocean. I'm like, God, I'm so thankful that there's not these fish around because <laughs> I would be dying right now. But yeah, that's definitely scarred me for life. Like early Amazon or not Amazon, early Animal Planet and Discovery Channel. There's definitely some mental scarring happening from what I've seen. Oh, yeah. And we just watched that after school. We're just, you know, my mom was like, yeah, Animal Planet. How bad can it be? (laughs) Right? (laughs) No idea. (laughs) All right. Um, So, yeah. So she's that's the kind of environment she's in. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so at their original crash site, she had bound, bleh, found a bag of sweets, um, but she had finished them within days and had nothing else to eat and began to starve. Man. So very, so very uh, Uruguayan rugby team, right? Yeah. We had like chocolate and wine. So um, speaking of that, when we were thinking about having to ration our food because we weren't sure when we were going to be leaving the dry tortugas yeah i did pack a bag of m&ms with me and i did have a box of wine and i just kind of laughed internally <laughs> to myself because i thought of the uruguayan rugby team and i was like god oh, damn no. it i was like i hope this does not turn into that right now uh i would hope not either because there are only two of you so <laughs> i know I'm like and my boyfriend is not like sweet so i was like well i guess you can have the wine i'll drink the chocolate or i'll take the chocolate <laughs> Yeah, so it's very that. She only had candy and she ate it within days. So unfortunately, because it wasn't the right season, food and forest fruits were not available because it was like the rainy season. So the fruits, they don't grow fruits around that time because they just rot Mm -hmm. on the tree. Otherwise, she would have been able to forage using the knowledge of the native plants that she had gained working with her parents and Panguana. So that sucked and the fact that everything was so wet made it impossible to start a fire i'm sure yeah so in addition because she wasn't wearing much she was exposed to the hot and rainy environment during the day and the cold wet at night making the journey a miserable slog so this is like the worst time for this to happen yeah definitely i mean it's when is it ever a good time but like like it's never a good time to fall ten thousand feet, but just make sure it's not the rainy season when you do it. <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, environment-wise, like it's not a great like condition for her to be in. On the fourth day after the crash, Julianne heard a noise. Um, she recognized as a king vulture. She knew that king vultures only land um, when there's a lot of carrion or you know dead animals. Mm-hmm. And she immediately knew that the vulture was scavenging bodies from the crash. Oh, so and and so when this plane burp apart in the air, it like spread out parts and people everywhere. Right? Oh yeah, I'm sure. So she cautiously approached this new crash site and found a few dead passengers still strapped to their seats. Um, oh, that's. That's very traumatizing. Yes. This poor little, I mean, not little, but 17-year-old. That's, I mean, you'd have- She's going to need a lot of therapy. Exactly. So one of these people was a woman. And um, Julianne was terrified, thinking at first that this woman may be her mother. But then she noticed pink nail polish on the woman's nails. 
and realized it wasn't her mother because her mother never painted her nails. Okay. So it wasn't her mom. And she gathered what she could from the site and moved on. I remember they did this story on My Favorite Murder a while ago. And oh, yeah? Yeah, because Karen Kilgariff is into survival stories now. That's cool. Um, but I remember them talking about how kind of sad it is that um, like this woman painted her nails, getting ready for the day, not even thinking about that this would happen to her. Oh, yeah. And that's how Julianne was able to determine that it wasn't her mom. Yeah, it's like the small stuff, right? Like the tattoos and the fingernail mm-hmm. polish and like the rings or whatever. Like mm-hmm. it's just, you know. I mean, these were people, these are fully functioning people who are just living their lives. Plane crashes freak me out. They're yeah. starting to freak me out more as they get older. So when we were taking the seaplane, we passed over a shipwreck and that was part of like the seaplane spiel. You know, it's mm-hmm. like a little bit of a tourism attraction too. Right. And in my head, I was like, you know, if we crash, I'm going to swim right to that shipwreck because that's clearly a site that they point out to people oh, no. <laughs> on their seaplane tours yeah. on the way to the dry Tortugas. And I'm just going to sit my happy ass like the mast is like still stuck out of the water. I was like, I will just sit my happy ass on top of that mast and I will just wave at the planes going by and hopefully someone sees me. <laughs> This is what I've done to you. I've made you start thinking this way. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. You're welcome. I'm sure one day it'll pay off. I mean, you'll be prepared, right? Yes, for sure. Yeah. So around this day, Julianne started hearing rescue planes and helicopters above her, but the canopy was so dense, they were not able to see her. Oh, she God. Had nothing to like flag them down. That's so frustrating. Right, because she can start a fire. So she yeah. smoke. Um, the crash actually prompted the biggest rescue search in Peru's history. Excuse me. However, due to the density of the forest, they couldn't even find the wreckage of the crash. Oh, God. Yeah, because like the canopy is just, you just see green. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the most high biomass ecosystems on the planet meaning that it's got so much vegetation and life Mm -hmm. and animals that it's just so crowded and dense. Um, It's, yeah, so they couldn't even find the wreckage. So Julianne continued on because she didn't really have another option. Um, um, She became too weak to stand due to exhaustion, starvation, and her injuries. And for days, she just drifted along the banks of a large river that she had found, um, letting the flow do the work for her. Yeah, that makes sense. She did this. Save your energy. Yeah, she did it for days. And she was wet all the time anyway. So she's like, doesn't matter to me. (laughs) Right. So her wounds were getting worse. And I'm going to say a trigger warning here. We're going to get a little gross. Um, So if you don't want to listen to this shit, skip forward like maybe a minute. So she knew a wound on her arm was becoming infested with maggots. Yuck, I hate that. Yeah. So on day 10 of her ordeal, however, her luck changed. 
Yeah. She saw a boat and at first thinking she was hallucinating, um, she walked up to it and touched it, finding that it was real. Yeah. From here, she saw a small path into the jungle where she found the hut with an outboard motor and a liter of gasoline. Oh, yeah. Which you would think, we'll put it in the engine and uh, go down the river. But she was more worried about her maggot wound. Yeah. She remembered her father treating a dog that had a wound infested with maggots back on the reserve. Mm-hmm. And he just poured gasoline on the wound. And lit it on fire? No, <laughs> oh. to suffocate the maggots because the fume will suffocate them. So oh, they'll, yeah. they'll come out of the yeah. Room. That makes so sense. So she poured gasoline on her maggot-infested wound and pulled out thirty maggots Ew. in total. Thirty. That's disgusting. Yeah, this is the part that really got me like fascinated with this story. Just imagining this like. 17-year-old pulling maggots out of herself. In a sundress. Yeah, with her eyes swollen shut, pretty much. Sweet little blonde. Yeah. (laughs) I was just, like, so captivated by... I I love her. I think she is so cool. And we'll get into, like, her later life and stuff. But I guess that's a spoiler. I'll cut that out. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I take it back. (laughs) But, like, yeah, it's just so viscerally disgusting because I hate insects. I hate them. I that is not it's funny because I study shrimp, which are basically water bugs. It's water bugs, yeah. They're legs. Just yeah. Ew. Something about like masses of insects like gathering that just really freaks me out. Yeah, me too. No, thank you. Like, I don't like bugs that jump. Mm-mm. I don't like bugs that move quickly. That's my thing. No. No. The, the, the quick movers are just they freak me out yeah, thank you i don't like them and i've never liked them and you know what that's okay i think we're allowed to pass um, yeah because i like a lot of, a lot of other animals that most people don't like that's fair like i'll pick up a sea cucumber before i pick up a caterpillar True. you know what really freaks me out is isopods i won't uh. touch those either there's some giant isopods that's at one of these like uh, aquarium attractions that's down the keys. Mm-hmm. And um, my boyfriend and I went recently and they have holes in the top of the tank and you can like stick your hand in, yeah. like, touch them. And he did it. And I was like, oh, that's so gross. And he's like, touch it. I was like, no, I'm not touching that thing. <laughs> like it freaks me out. Like those are water bugs. Like I don't like bugs. Those are gross. They're just really polies. <laughs> but they're just like they were so big. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, they have some now at the Virginia Living Museum, actually. Do they? Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. That's like Words one of the out. exhibits. But they're uh, so cool. I that's, me out. <laughs> that's the one that I'm like, I'm fine with because I love roly polies. But they're not yeah. technically insects either. Um, so anyway, I don't like bugs and maggots are gross. So yes, me too. <laughs> Couldn't confirm. All right, so after doing all of that, um, Julianne then spent the night exhausted by her efforts. Uh, The next morning, she awoke to voices and found three men outside the hut. Um, She said, the first man I saw seemed like an angel. 
Uh, this is her describing seeing human life for the first time since the crash. And this is day 10. Mm-hmm. The men, however, were frightened of her, thinking that she could be a water spirit called Yemen Habut. Oh my God. Um, who's a water goddess that was in their mythology a hybrid of a water dolphin and a blonde, white skinned woman. Get out of here. Yeah. And she was blonde and white, right? So yeah, and, <laughs> and wet, drenching, <laughs> drenched. Um, but she then introduced herself in Spanish and explained what had happened. And the men treated her wounds and gave her food immediately, having prior knowledge of that big search for Lance of Flight five hundred eight that was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so immediately, you know, they were able to figure it out. Um. Julianne stayed with them for another night before they took her out the next day to a small hospital at a nearby nearby town. So nice. So she's okay. She's okay. She survived the ordeal, and Kopka was reunited with her father. She just she never found her mom. I will get into that. Okay. Yeah. Um. She describes the moment as he could barely talk. And in the first moment, we just held each other, which it's just, you can tell that he loves her so much because that overwhelmed with emotion that you can't talk. Yeah. Yeah. So after days of recovery for her, because she was a mess, um, she began to help authorities locate the plane. Yeah. Um, and after a few days, they were able to ID the dead bodies from the crash. Mm. On January 12th, they found her mother's body. That's sad. It was determined that her mother had initially survived the crash. Oh. But, yeah. But was so badly injured, she couldn't move and died days later. Oh, my God. That's so sad. So basically, that would be what happened might have happened to julie julianne if like if her injuries had been worse yeah because so, do you think that they die at, die of starvation at that point or like a mix of injuries and starvation i think yeah a mix of that yeah. um and probably exposure yeah because if your body isn't really functioning properly and it's putting more energy into trying to fix your injuries it's not going to regulate your body temperature or anything like that. Yeah, so that's any, fair. any exposure to like more cold or more hot than your body would like is going to cause a lot of issues. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's fair. Um, so Julianne said of her mother's death, I dread to think what her last days were like. Yeah. Jeez. I'm glad that she didn't find her mother's body. Cause that. Yeah. That would have been very, very traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Of the 91 people on the plane, Julian Kupka was the sole survivor. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it's not usual that you survive a plane crash like that. No. And it wasn't really a crash. The plane, like I said, had broken into pieces two miles above the ground. God. And this is the deadliest lightning strike disaster in Mm -hmm. aviation history in the world. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So this story kind of captivated certainly the region and the world for a little while. 
Yeah. Because it's just such a captivating, like, interesting story. So, unfortunately, initially, she achieved some fame from the disaster um, when an Italian biopic came out about it in 1974 called Miracles Still Happen. But she was portrayed as a hysterical moron and a silly screaming girl because she was 17 instead of the confident and knowledgeable young woman she was. That's annoying. Yeah. Um, She was stung by the early reportage, which was wildly inaccurate and avoided the media for a long time. And so on slide three, you can see she kind of recreated her ordeal for the media. Mm-hmm. She's wearing the dress that she was wearing. Yeah. And then next to it, you can see all of the posters and magazine stories that Gosh. other, you know, media organizations and the film Miracles Still Happen. And it's just so, like, salacious. Yeah. Like the miracle still happened movie poster. She's got like this like this red dress on that's ripped and she's like has her hands in the air and her head's thrown back. She's like, I can't tell if she's screaming in pain or if she's screaming in relief. Yeah. And it looks very sexual. Yeah. Um yeah, it does. Like intentionally sexual. Mm-hmm. And this is a 17-year-old girl. Right. Right. So not only are they basically making her this hysterical, you know, crying girl, but she wasn't. Yeah. You know, she she did what she had to to get out of that situation. But now they're also sexualizing her. And yeah, she's not cool. A child, right? Yeah. So she chose to not interact with the media after this happened uh, you can just you can just see like the difference between like the picture of her reenacting the ordeal versus these movie posters like she looks it's so very se- different yeah i mean she looks so serious and determined yeah so not just... some frail 17 year old that's crying in the forest right and i know it was like the 1970s and uh sexism was still a big thing then but it's just a shame that they did that yeah yeah i mean no kid wants that especially after surviving a traumatic experience right where she lost her mother yeah like come on well and and it's like isn't the real story more interesting the fact that she is <laughs> calm and i know right i know right no they need to make it more dramatic it's the drama that sells the drama yeah Absolutely. Um, But eventually, in 1980, she went to study biology at the University of Kiel in Germany and received her PhD. She then returned to Peru to research mammalogy and married Eric Diller, who was an entomologist who studied parasitic wasps. Super cool. That is cool. Um, Julianne was drawn back to Panguana and spent 18 months of residence there getting her master's studying diurnal butterflies and a PhD studying bats. 
Cool. So she's fucking cool. She's kind of a hero <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds like it. Um, 19 years later, after the death of her father, she took over as director of Panguana. Cool. Um, in 1998, she returned to the crash site for Werner Herzog's documentary, Wings of Hope, about her story. That's nice. So she finally got to tell her story and had, you know, a world-class director to do it. Yeah. Um, and what's more, Herzog had actually narrowly missed taking the exact same flight. Oh, really? Yes, when Gosh. he was he was scouting locations for another work of his, um, The Wrath of God. And this process helped her focus on the incident from a distance and gain a sense of closure that she still hadn't gotten at this point um, since she had never gone to therapy or was offered formal counseling. Yeah. Because it was the 1970s and we they didn't believe. No, yeah, they didn't believe in that shit. Yeah. Um, um, this prompted her to write her memoir called When I Fell from the Sky. Wow. So on slide four, you can see her at the crash site, which the pieces of the plane are still there, mm -hmm. um, where she went with Werner Herzog in 98. That's amazing. I know. Uh, so the story is not only a, oh, sorry. And then, and then the other picture is her as the director of the Panguana Reserve to this day. That's also incredible and very well deserved, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. So the story is not only a story of courage, intelligence, and tenacious endurance in the face of insurmountable odds. It's also about how this young woman dealt with her grief during this whole experience. Mm -hmm. Julianne, whether consciously or subconsciously, knew there was a low chance, or sorry, a high chance that her mother was dead, um, but vowed to move forward anyway, one step at a time, um, using what she had learned from her mother in Panguana to survive. During her ordeal, she vowed, if I stayed alive, I would devote my life to a meaningful cause that served nature and humanity. Because of her efforts, in 2011, the Peruvian government declared Panguana a private conservation area, protecting this important hotspot of diversity for decades to come, which is something that I think her mother, biologist Maria Kopka, would be very proud of. Yeah, definitely. I would say so. So that's the story of Julian Kopka and how she fell 10,000 feet into the Amazon. That's insane. That was a good story, though. I really like yeah. that one. I love her. And she has now become like a low-key personal hero of mine. Yeah. Because she's doing such amazing work, like to this day, preserving these areas of the Amazon that would otherwise be cut down for farming or logging, you know. So yeah, she's important. saving a whole ecosystem, really. One that she had to, like, go Use. through this awful ordeal in. Yeah, that's great. It's a great story. I'm glad she survived. I'm sad about her mom, but I know. I'm glad she survived. It's very rare that we have any of these stories where, like, 
there's no loss of life, unfortunately. Yeah. I think we've had a few, but it's usually, you know, one person finds himself all alone because everyone else is dead and, you know, it's hard. Um, except for Shackleton, he managed to keep everybody alive. I was just about to say, except for Shackleton. I actually he figured, have, he figured it out somehow. Yeah, that's why that story is so bonkers to me because, like, there's no way that should have worked. No, I'm almost like, is it a conspiracy? Is it even true? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, everybody. <laughs> it's like, let's not go down that rabbit hole now. <laughs> oh, um. So yeah, um. Yeah, just it's it is awful you know, what happened to everybody else. Yeah. And, yeah. And like stories like that and like Hella Clavin and Ralph Flores, that other plane crash story we talked about. Mm-hmm. Really he like make... wanted to convert her to his religion. Yes. That one. Yeah. Really freak me out now. Make me freak out about like small planes. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. fair. I'm glad mm-hmm. that I went on a seaplane before we talked about this one. <laughs> I always do this to you. I know. <laughs> I'm going to be flying next weekend too anyway. So it's like, cool, cool, cool. Well, uh, the next one is going to involve uh, skiing and dog sledding. So unless you're doing any of that, I think. I'm good, good on that. Yeah, I'm good <laughs> on that one. Definitely good on that one. All right. Shall well, we, uh, wrap this one up. Yeah, let's uh, spring the mood up. Talk about happy things. Why don't you go first? Okay. Um, I guess um, my little happy thing right now is that the weather was nice today and I set up the sunroom that we had because remember it was full of water like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So I finally dried everything out and set it back up and sat out there tonight while Corey was making dinner and it was just so nice to sit there with our puppy and just hang out in in the nice weather so that was nice and then also I'm going to New Orleans next month yeah which I'm pretty excited about because I've never been um so we're going at the end of the month and I'm really excited to like eat my way through that city (laughs) yes I think you'll like it I've been once but I've been there uh just one time for like a couple hours so yeah, it's it was it's, fun while I was there. So hopefully it's only enjoy like it. seven hours away by car. So that's not too bad. It's definitely like a yeah. day's worth of driving, but it's like doable for two yeah. people to do it. And then like if you guys stay for a couple of days, I feel like it's kind of worth it. Right. And I'm like, while we're here, we might as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, for sure. So um my happy thing is uh, so my happy thing is coming up, not this weekend, but next weekend, but I get to go home. Uh, it's kind of going home for a sad reason, but at least I get to go home and see my family. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I get to go home for a couple of days and my best friend is getting married. So we're going to do some wedding dress shopping when I'm home. Ooh. Yeah. So that'd be fun. Um, and yeah, that's just kind of, it's not this weekend, but it's next weekend when I'll be home. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of my happy thing. Um, also good news is I have been trying to get in with like a soccer team situation down here. And this girl I was talking to was trying to get the 
like a permit or something to use this field in Key West. And so like that's kind of been progressing, which is nice. So sooner or later, hopefully there'll be like a women's soccer team down here, like a club team, not like a legitimate team. Yeah. And, you know, something fun to do like that. So yeah, that's nice. Yeah. All good things. Yeah. Great things. My good thing was really just the dry tortugas camping. That was my good thing. That was yeah. Yeah. so beautiful there I would love I, I want to go snorkeling so bad I haven't been since Maui yeah uh, it's one of my favorite things to do the water was cold it was nice I just I was trying to figure out I was asking one of the law enforcement officers there because I was like when's a good time to come where it's like still cooler in the evenings but the water's warm to snorkel because that's the challenging part like it's nice out right now for camping Mm-hmm. but like the water is cold and then Let like just put on your wetsuit and go baby I know but like my wetsuit <laughs> is like I feel like my wetsuit's like too thick for all of that I feel like I should have had like I don't have a top I have like I have dive leggings but like I have water lust yeah they are which was they worked fine it's like if I had something similar for the top I think I probably get been okay this is what I did Maui get their like rash guard bathing suit yeah and wear that on top yeah and then the leggings it's perfect for like slightly cold water yeah that's what I really needed and I didn't have something like that so that was a bummer but um and then the next two days the the wind was bad so like the water was like moving a bunch and the clarity wasn't good so we didn't go snorkeling but yeah the water was cold but like it's hard like I said it's hard this time of year because it's like you're either going to be sweating in your tent and like fine in the ocean or you're going to be like chilly in the water but fine in your tent so yeah 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 trying to figure out that happy medium right yeah it's a great time right well let's uh oh I didn't do my uh citations Citations. Eh, let me do that real quick and then finish this out so my uh sources for this story was the incredible story of Julian Kopka, the teenager who fell 10,000 feet and trekked the jungle for 11 days by Kara Goldfarb of All That Is Interesting. Um, Julian Kopka, How I Survived a Plane Crash by Julian Kopka for BBC News. And She Fell Nearly Two Miles and Walked Away by France Lids of the New York Times. Um, so those are my forces um so if our listeners want to find us where can they do that you guys can find us oh my voice just crackled you guys can find us on the socials Uh, we are on instagram at mother nature will kill you podcast we're on twitter at mnwky podcast and we have a website mother nature will kill you podcast.com and you can listen to us there or you could listen to us on any streaming platform like Spotify podcast, Apple podcast, or Google podcast. And if you want to submit a survival story of your own, you don't have to have survived a plane crash and spent 10 days in the Amazon. But if you have, I want to hear about it. And Haley wants to hear about it. Yes. Um, but you can, it can be anything um, like an uncomfortable situation you were in in nature. Like for example, Haley's story today about. Uh, Possibly being stranded for a whole week. <laughs> <laughs> Dry tortugas. 
Um, so it doesn't have to be anything like super crazy, but if you have a story, please, please, please submit it to us um, on the website. Um, we have a uh, contact form on there for you to submit your story. So please do that. Um, and then if you want to support the podcast and you don't want to spend any money, um, please give us a five-star review on any of the listening platforms. Um, it helps us basically with the algorithms and helps us like work our way up the charts so that more people can see us and listen to us. Um, and so it's really, really helpful. So please do that as well. Yep. And uh, thanks for listening. I should Thank probably you. start saying that because I haven't really. <laughs> Just like, thanks for listening to us talk for an hour and a half. <laughs> thanks for listening to us word vomit about our lives and stick a survival story in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow some people find us interesting. <laughs> <laughs> some people find us wildly entertaining, which I love. That's great. Um, all right. So with that. Until next time, stay safe. But most of all, stay curious, explorers. See you later. Happy Valentine's. I need to go to bed. I'm so tired.